Eerie. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. I hope you're here hanging out with us because we are excited. We have that post-Thanksgiving... I don't know, I was going to say hangover. Coma. Coma, that's it, that's what I was looking for, yeah. Like I said, nothing hits better than that tryptophan, uh, <laughs> that tryptophan nap. But anyway, I'm back, low-key low key weekend on my end. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, looking outside, they call it Stormy Monday, and Tuesday's just as bad, so stay warm. We hope you're driving safe and listening to us. Indeed. This is eerie weather. This is, you know, we've had some sunny days Sunny Mondays recently, but here's here comes the snow, right? One thing we cannot do is complain about how the weather has been lately. That's true. Rich, did you go camping again here in this, this snowy no. week? No. <laughs> uh, actually, I was uh, helping my daughter. She she actually just had a birthday yesterday, awesome. so she turned 17. I, I don't know where 17 years went. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she's working on her Eagle Scout project, so uh, we good. were moving stuff back and forth, and so yeah. uh, we're, we're doing a bunch of that yesterday. Yep. No, wow. that's good. It flies. I mean, my kids are eight, six, and three. And Don't I'm already, blink. I know. I'm already feeling it. I'm already feeling it. We had a crazy week with Thanksgiving. We had we ended up staying home. All of our kids got sick, so we've been cooped up for like oh, six geez. days. Yeah, so I'm uh, looking forward to talk some sports here today. On <laughs> Adult interaction. Monday, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's in good. air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah was, maybe we'll leave, cut the adult part out. <laughs> All right, anyway, we had a tough weekend for District 10 football, but the District 10 coaches also voted on the regional All-Stars. A lot to cover here in the North Shore Rewind. (laughs) Welcome to the North Shore Rewind, brought to you by Duska's Funeral Home. Oh, Paul, let's, you know what, I like how you put this in order. Let's go through classes, and let's start with Red Bank Valley and Cambridge Springs. Uh, Not a lot of good happening with district 10 playoffs but uh we'll start here cambridge springs had a lot of hope coming into this game red bank valley 44 cambridge springs zero yeah uh five teams left from district 10 in the playoffs this weekend and 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 we went one and four uh in single a cambridge springs fell to red bank valley 44 to nothing more or less just outran uh, looking at the stats, I didn't even write up a, a, a recap on this one. 44 nothing. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how it went for Cambridge Springs, who finished their season with a big uh, rematch win against Lakeview. So Yeah, I mean... Red Bank Valley has that spread offense, which you don't. How often do you see a spread offense in a high school? You see them more often than not. The problem at the high school level is you have to have the athletes to run yeah. uh, a spread offense, and that's even more difficult to run at the single A level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just you know, spreading the field can't keep up. Forty four nothing. There's just nothing good or bad to really single to really A. Hit this single home. A. What's it? it's like three hundred to four hundred and fifty students in the school. So yeah. you look at one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy five boys, and you've got to find twenty two of them that are really good yeah. football players. How do you find enough to run a spread offense in the single A? <laughs> All right. Well, moving up. Westinghouse thirty six. Farrell twenty. Another loss for District Ten. Yep. Thirty six twenty. Farrell fell to Westinghouse. Uh, it was twenty eight twenty. Farrell tried to make a game of it late, but a late Westinghouse touchdown, uh, and I guess some. Uh, negative fan interaction uh, at the end of the game kind of spoiled that one for Farrell uh, as they will fall after winning the D10 championship over Mercyhurst. That's tough. You know, parents at a football game, I get it. My kids are young yet, but we're seeing it even, you know, at, at an eight-year-old football game. It's like, oh, yeah. Guys, can we sit down? Can we, can, we take a, <laughs> can we take a breather? This isn't the Heisman. All right, moving up to the only win in District 10, Hickory 26 over Martinsburg Central 13. 
Returning to the PIAA semifinals for the first time since 2013, Hickory showcased a dominant performance, defeating Central Martinsburg or Martinsburg Central, depending on who you listen to, 26-13 in the Class 3A quarterfinals. Quarterback Xander Telez led the charge, throwing for a touchdown and rushing for another. Hickory's defense played a pivotal role in stifling Central's high-scoring offense, one of the best teams in the state, holding the Dragons to 82 yards passing and forcing two interceptions. The Hornets held a 10 nothing halftime lead and added to it with a big 58-yard Telez to Kevlin Morrison touchdown in the third. Hickory's balanced offensive attack and suffocating defense sealed the victory, and they will advance to face the Whippeal champion Bell Vernon in the semifinals. You know, I'm happy to see a District 10 team move on. Wish right, it would have been an Erie County team, but... You know, the Whippeals, just like they breed them differently down there. <laughs> they they do. But, uh, I, I mean, like you said, we all get to rally around one team now. We're, we're yep. all Hickory fans from now until the end of the season. Yep, yep. All right, jumping up. Peters Township 33, Cathedral Prep 14. This was a tough one. A lot of back and forth, but Prep just couldn't hang on in the end. Yeah, you mentioned a, a potent high-scoring offense. Cathedral Prep fell to Peters Township 33-14, known for their potent passing game and stellar defense. Prep's red zone defense showcased resilience, limiting Peters to four field goals, but the Whippeals' top scoring defense provided formidable protection. Peters' defense forced two interceptions and thwarted Prep on fourth down four different times, showcasing their ability to make crucial plays. Prep fought hard with Luke Costello's touchdown pass to Corey Allen, tying the game at 14 apiece, but they struggled to maintain offensive momentum. Peters quarterback Nolan DeLucia showcased his prowess with a 32-yard pass to Ethan Wortman and a stunning 62-yard connection with Thomas Spinelli, and Peters ultimately secured that 33-14 victory, advancing to the semifinals for the first time in program history. They'll take on District 3 champion Cocalico in the Western Finals. This is a tough one for prep. I mean, you have their Peters Township defense, like you're talking about, is, is just holding tight. Prep, if you could pull out two touchdowns, right, out of this, they, they're in six drives... Peters Township forced two interceptions and turned prep over on downs four times. If you can convert two of those, or even just one of those to build some momentum, it's a different game. I think it's a completely different game. Yeah. Tough loss there for prep. All right. Moving on. North Allegheny 41, McDowell 7. This one was an ugly one within the first four minutes. Yeah. Mercy rule in effect by the end of this one. In the PIAA 6A quarterfinals, McDowell faced a rather tough opponent in North Allegheny, resulting in a 41-7 defeat that marked the end of McDowell's 2023 campaign. North Allegheny coming off a thrilling Whippeal championship win showcased their dominance early with Logan Kushner leading an impressive offensive assault in which he went 6 of 9 Six completions, by the way, 174 yards and three touchdowns. So three touchdowns on six completions ran for another score while standout Kyron Boyd's 77 yard opening kickoff return set the tone. McDowell struggled to sustain drives against North Allegheny's relentless defense and Kushner's back to back touchdown passes early to Evan Lighton established a commanding 28 lead before the half. Despite McDowell's efforts, including a fourth quarter touchdown by Stephen Porter, they couldn't overcome North Allegheny's strength. McDowell coach Bo Orlando acknowledged the challenge posed by Northern Allegheny's formidable de- defensive line. And while McDowell avoided a shutout, senior Cooper Cousins expressed gratitude for his time at McDowell and the valuable life lessons learned. That'll conclude their 2023 season with a final record of 8-5. and five. This was, you know, I, so I grew up in the Whippeals. Yes. And N.A., North Allegheny, is 
always good. They're just one of those teams that, like, if you go to play NA, you're just hoping you're hoping not to lose 41-7. I mean, I'm not trying like to pick on McDowell here. Right, 100%. They just are always a consistent powerhouse up there with teams like, I know the different classes, but like Aliquippa, you know, those types of teams. It's just NA is always a tough one. So I don't, I don't think this is like – I don't want to say this is McDowell not showing up. I think this is just the difference between showing districts. the dominance of North Alabama. Hundred yes. percent. Yeah, yes. it's just it's just they couldn't put anything together on offense against that, which huge is a little defense. stunning because of how well the interior offensive line pushed around State yeah. College a week ago, just yeah. bullying them on the ground. 320, 330 yards a week ago. Yeah, and not a whole lot this week from either running back. The struggle to throw the ball, especially you know, it's getting colder now. You want to run the ball, and they yeah. were able to do that between the tackles a week ago. So, I mean, congrats to Northern Allegheny who yeah. who, who put a hurting on McDowell a couple of times this year. Yep, uh, the deserved winners in that one. Yeah, McDowell didn't give up too. You mentioned you know Stephen Porter scoring that one yard touchdown run. Yeah, that's late in the fourth quarter. Like kudos to those guys for just not throwing in the towel and still wanting to exactly. come and play. I'm excited for year two of blaze Myers as a full-time starter. I agree. I'm excited for McDowell next year. I think there's going to be some cool things happening. Baby Porter will be back. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be good again. Surprise. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the 2023 region all-stars and the players of the year were announced. These players are voted on by the coaches among the district. And we've seen some Erie County players and teams come out among this as well. Right, Paul? Absolutely. Uh, a couple I wanted to hit on here from Region 2, Region Tri Players of the Year. Paul Johnson from Mercyhurst Prep, Nolan Seabury of Seneca, and Sean Pescuzzi of Eisenhower. Uh, and then going down to Region 5, obviously the champion Northeast, Region Player of the Year, Jamari Curlett. What who, a great year. Oh, my gosh. I was just going to say, <laughs> who just scored another touchdown. And then, of course, uh, the Region 6 champion, McDowell. We just talked to him. Co-players of the year, uh, DeJour, Hollingworth, DeJour Hollingsworth from Cathedral Prep. And, of course, Cooper Cousins of McDowell. Yep. All right, real quick before we wrap up the rewind, I do want to give a shout-out to the Otters. Uh, not necessarily a great game over the weekend, but they had their 15th annual Teddy Bear Toss taking place at the Erie Insurance Arena. Uh, cherished hockey tradition. This is one of the coolest things. I've never actually been to a game during this. Have you guys been to one of the, the Bear Toss? Okay, so I've been to two. Okay. And, and the first one I went to, I went with my wife. We were just, hey, what are you doing tonight? Let's let's grab a, you know a, some water tickets. It was a surprise. Oh. So we had no idea it was coming. So you didn't that bring That was incredible. No, we unfortunately we didn't. But we're like, hey, is it like, you know, bring your stuffed Why animal to the game tonight? Stuffed animals the and game. then they scored, and then all of a sudden comes raining down. We're like, what is going on? It was really cool. There's the one game of the season where you don't want to be sitting near the boards. Yeah. Because you're going to get nailed with something. <laughs> Flying teddy bears. So, so... <laughs> So it's when they score their first goal, you throw the teddy bears? When typically, when Erie yeah. scores their first goal, everything stops. <laughs> typically. So you just I was <laughs> going to say that made it tough this weekend since they they uh, were not able to to score a goal against Mississauga. They but lo- not for a lack of trying. No, 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 no. Yeah, they lose the game 5 nothing, but they sh- they had 48 shots. The Mississauga goalie was just standing on his head making saves. Just a great game from them. Unfortunately, falling to the series 0-4 against Mississauga. Hopefully they can turn it back around. They may have lost on the ice, but this is a great tradition, and I can't wait. Next year, we need to make a point to, to be a part of it. I love it. A couple of big bears. Yeah, I saw some. The videos are great. <laughs> the videos are great. Head over to the Otters website and take a look at some of those. Well, that was the North Shore Rewind brought to you by Dusk's Funeral Home. When we get back, we'll head over to the campus corner. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk brought to you by Dusk's 
Welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quick Fill. Gannon's men basketball takes the Gary Miller Classic Championship. Number 16 Gannon's women's basketball team wins their fourth straight, and Mercyhurst Samantha Strebel earns her second ECC Bowler of the Week. Let's cross the quad to the campus corner. Gannon's men's basketball team secured a championship win in the 39th annual Gary Miller Classic, defeating Lincoln with a final score of 97-93. This team is on a roll. This victory brings Gannon to a 5-0 record on the season. Josh Omojafo from Gannon earned the title of most outstanding player for his standout performances all throughout the tournament. Uh, Gannon's victory in the Classic marked the first championship win under the guidance of first-year head coach Jordan Fee. Coach Fee becomes the first coach in his debut season at Gannon to claim the Classic Championship trophy since Jerry Slocum in 1996. This team is off to a hot start. This 5-0 start is the best since Slocum's debut campaign where he began with a six straight win uh, in that 1996 season. And this is the fourth best in Golden Knights history with Dave Markey achieving a similar feat in 1970. All these big numbers to say, get your butt down to a game. They're playing great ball right now. You know, scoring 140 points in a game, what, twice is really impressive. But what's even more impressive and what's going to lead to more wins down the road is winning a game that was... Knotted up. Uh, 16 lead changes in this one, and they trailed by six in the final four minutes. I mean, that that's a tough team to beat. Yep. Lincoln gained an 82-74 lead with 729 remaining. They make a comeback. Gannon makes the comeback, scoring nine straight points and having a 91-90 lead with two minutes left. And it was ultimately the free throw line where they made 21 of 28 over the course of the game to really take the lead on this one. Gannon looks ahead to face PSAC opponents in the conference crossover games, playing Bloomsburg on December 1st and East Stroudsburg on December 2nd. Heading over to women's basketball, number 16 Golden Knights win fourth their fourth straight game with a 70-59 decision at Duville. Yeah, the Gannon women's basketball team won a hard-fought one against Duville uh, with a final of 70-59, extending their winning streak now to four straight games. Ranked 16th in the WBCA Division II Top 25 and 20th in the D2 CCA poll, the Golden Knights now stand at 7-1 and one on the season. Matchup carried additional significance as Gannon head coach Cleve Wright faced a former recruit, Allie Bowman, who left the Golden Knights for Miami of Ohio. Now, despite a resilient effort from Duville late, Gannon's defense stepped up in the crucial moments and was perfect from the foul line in the third quarter. Samantha Porosco led with 17 points. Fairview graduate Carissa Dunham contributed 11. And Bree Claxton maintained her double-digit streak with 10 points. Senior Mikel Nation played a pivotal role down the stretch with 9 points and 8 rebounds and made a couple of crucial plays in the closing moments. The Golden Knights are on the road at Bloomsburg this Friday. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about District 10 football. And I was talking about how I've never really been a big basketball fan and, and, and I'm talking about Erie and basketball and this this person told me listen Erie's not a football town it's a basketball town it really is you know we got up we got high school basketball up and coming college basketball is off to a great start here in the county as well and Gannon is just on a tear so far this year Boys and girls teams yeah they're, they're gonna be they're gonna be fun ones they're gonna be in it at the end of the year for sure yep jumping up the heights heading to Mercyhurst. 
Wrestling opens up at number, they opened up at number 22. They're now currently at number 23 in the open map poll. Uh, unfortunately, they, they're 0 and 1 in the dual meet with their only loss coming from the hands of the third ranked West Liberty in the season opener on November 5th. But I bring it up because Dylan Walker stands out in the, at the finale open competing in the 165 category. His efforts led him to the championship match where he secured a sudden victory claiming the top spot in the event. Walker also earned title of PSAC wrestler of the week for two consecutive weeks. So they may be owing one, but they're just getting started. Looking ahead, Mercyhurst is gearing up for the Lake Erie Tri-Meet in Painesville, Ohio, scheduled for Saturday, December 3rd at noon. Mercyhurst is among four PSAC teams featured in the open map poll. Pitt Johnstown leads the conference at 17th. Millersville, Millersville secures the 21st spot. And Kutztown rounds out the PSAC representation at 25. In women's basketball over at Mercyhurst, the Hurst 60, Ohio Dominican 48. Yeah, from the mat to the court in a commanding performance, the Mercyhurst women's basketball team netted their third consecutive victory against Ohio Dominican with a 60-48 final. The Lakers, now 3-2 on the season, showcased a balance offense led by Bailey Coons, who finished with 19 points and two rebounds. Danielle Grimm, a key figure in the Laker backcourt, recorded a double-double with 16 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. Paige Woodford contributed 13 points, providing some space with a couple of crucial shots from beyond the arc. The Lakers' depth, featuring 11 returning players, emphasizes the team's cohesion, leadership, and poise under the guidance of Coach Brooklyn Kohlheim. Up next, the Lakers will travel to East Stroudsburg on Friday, December 1st. Before we head over to Edinburgh, we haven't talked about him for a couple weeks, but don't you think I'm not keeping my eye <laughs> I was just on the women's say, when, bowling team? When was this going to come back? <laughs> Samantha Strabble secures the Eastern Coastal Conference Bowler of the Week title. She showcased her skills in the Damon Storm Fall Classic, earning that uh, title of ECC Bowler of the Week for the second time this season. Across five individual games, she maintains a 190 average, and her her top game included a 224 in her first game. Guys, that's I can't even hit 200 on Wii Bowling. I bowl three games. I don't know if I hit 200. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Upcoming action, Mercyhurst Bowling Team takes a brief hiatus, but they return to action in January. They start back up on the 19th as they compete in Sacred Hearts Northeast Classic. Jumping over from Mercyhurst to Edinburgh. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Edinburgh men's basketball team earning its first victory under new head coach Justin Jennings in their home opener as they secured a hard-fought 87-80 win against Roberts Wesleyan. Bernie Blunt led the charge with 23 points, going a perfect 14-for-14 at the charity stripe. East and Fulmer contributed a career-high 22, and J.J. Eubank added 11 more. Despite the seesaw battle, the Scotch clinched the win by going 8-for-8 from the free-throw line in the final 36 seconds. The team now looks ahead to their PSAC opener on December 1st against Kutztown. From Edinburgh to Barron, we don't get a chance to talk about Barron a whole lot. It's not by choice. We've been waiting for some Well, good they don't news. have a football team, so right. we've been heavy there, but right. yeah, basketball, big time. But we're moving into basketball 100%. And the Lions fall for the first time this season at Allegheny by the score of 73-67. They're fighting. Penn State Barron, despite the setback, maintains a solid record of 4-1. and one. This was a lot of back and forth. Four lead changes and four ties to keep the fans on the edge of their seats. Allegheny secures a seven-point lead, 24-17, with 9.45 left in the half. At halftime, Allegheny leads 38-34. Second half, they go on an 8-0 run. 
Lions, they did their best to bounce back, reducing the deficit to five points within one minute on the clock. However, some costly fouls, Allegheny's free throws secure the win as they hold off the Lions in the final moment. Barron looks ahead to conference play and returns home to face Carlo on Wednesday, November 29th with a game scheduled for 7 p.m. Paul, we had Will Jeffress on a few episodes ago. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check out the Flagship City Sports podcast. But Pitt, looking good so far this year. Yep, on the road uh, in New York City. The Pitt Panthers rebounded impressively from a loss to Florida, securing a convincing 76-51 victory over Oregon State in the NIT season tip-off at the Barclays Center over the holiday weekend. Suffocating defense and relentless hustle. Staples of Coach Jeff Capel teams, Pitt dominated the game. Panthers defense limited Oregon State to 32.7% shooting and 9% from beyond the arc. And they forced 18 turnovers. Zach Austin's 19 points, including a three-for-six mark from three-point range, led the team. Blake Hinson also contributed 17, while Federico Federico and Ish Leggett each scored in double figures. The victory marked a much-needed turnaround for Pitt, securing a third-place finish in the tournament. Panthers now sit at 5-1, and one, and our guy Will Jeffress, 8 minutes, one point two rebounds before we take our next break i do want to take a second and thank all of our sponsors quick fill dusk's funeral home circo industrial supply john's wildwood pizza denny's sales and service center Dabarado supply awesome painting and services without them we wouldn't be here for you all right when we get back we'll hop into the flagship feature you're listening to flagship city sports talk brought to you by All right, we're back, Erie. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. For today's flagship feature, we have a local icon calling us into the studio today. Without further ado, I'm not even going to bother introducing him. I'm going to let him do it himself. We have Rick Gotkin, Mercyhurst men's hockey coach. Rick, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Hey, I got to tell you, this is an absolute privilege for me to join you guys and uh, excited to, to talk with you. No, we are too. Yeah, I mean, you're the guy that needs no introduction. People are still trying to figure out who we are, but you know, you've been a, you've been a staple in the area for a long time and we're excited to, to talk to you. Um, so for those that don't know you, What's your origin story, Rick? Where'd you get your start? Where are you from? How'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, you know what? Um, I uh, born and raised in the New York City area, believe it or not. Born in Brooklyn, New York, and then um, my family moved out to the Long Island area when I was about 13 years old. And that was around the same time I started the journey of hockey as a uh, young player, bounced around to various places, finished my uh, college playing career at Brockport State University, which is just outside of Rochester, New York. I was a physical education major while at Brockport State and uh, really thought I was going to be uh, just teaching in the high school, elementary school area, whatever the case was, but uh, found an opportunity to, to stay involved in the game that I really loved, ice hockey, and, you know, a number of assistant jobs, uh, you know, that, that came about. Some were volunteer assistance positions. Most didn't pay very much money, <laughs> uh, but that's not why that's not why any of us get into coaching at any level. Uh, Sports not, in general, for that matter. That. <laughs> exactly, right? It's a passion. It's yep. uh, being around young people. It's, you know, telling the stories and helping young people grow. And then uh, I was at a place called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which is RPI for short. And that's just outside of Albany in Troy, New York. And uh, that was my first experience with Division One hockey. I was an assistant coach. And Mercyhurst College back then was advertising for a full-time head hockey coach at the Division Three level. So I applied for the job and uh, 
lo and behold, I was fortunate enough to get the job. And I've now quietly uh, been here for, I'm in my 36th year, which (laughs) kind of blows my mind a little bit because it it feels, God's honest truth, it feels like yesterday uh, until I say that. And then when I say 36 (laughs) years, I kind of like, wow, that's a long time. But I got to tell you, I've been absolutely blessed. You know, uh, uh, like I said, I'm not from Erie originally, but, uh, you know, I uh, I love Erie and, you know, Erie is my home. And, uh, you know, I married a local Erie girl, uh, you know, 30 something years ago. And uh, we have two adult children that born and raised here in Erie and went through uh, uh, the different school systems here. Uh, Both went to Mercier's University. Erie is unbelievable. And uh, uh, like I said, I'm very, very fortunate to end up at uh, at a place that I love and uh, I enjoy going to work every day. No, that's awesome. And and you said it, you spent over three decades at Mercyhurst and there was kind of a special game that happened this year, right? If we go back to November 11th was a very important day, right? Uh, in everybody's career. Uh, it was the day that I turned 37, but <laughs> <laughs> it also holds a, it also holds a different significance for you as well. Coach, you got, you, you obtained, you earned your 600th win as a collegiate hockey coach, what's that feel like? Well, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I, I've said this uh, to a number of people since that day. Uh, that milestone is a program milestone. That sure. that really is not a Rick Gottkin milestone. I mean, what, one person doesn't do that, right? right. So uh, what I've been very fortunate, I've been fortunate to be able to hang around for a long time, as you know. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, that really is a tribute to all the student athletes, past and present, um, assistant coaches that uh, make me look smarter than I am most of the time, (laughs) Um, administrators, athletic trainers, equipment managers, sports information people. I mean, there's so many people. I will say this, and I've said this to people, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to to share that milestone with those people. And I'm certainly over the moon to accept those congratulations on behalf of all those people. But that has far less to do with me than it does the program, you know, and that's a that's truly a program milestone. And, uh, you know, it's been fun. You know, sure. it's been fun doing it. Get to work with, you know, really, really great people on and off the ice. Yeah. Um, get to be involved with great people on other teams and other schools, yeah. you know, in different capacities and, and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it, it's been a fun, fun, fun time. No, for sure. And don't get me wrong. Your humbleness speaks speaks volumes. But I don't want to let it go by that you were, you're only the 16th collegiate coach to reach the milestone and only the seventh to do the same with the team. So, you know, just you're as much a part of that. As, as all the players that played under you as well. Still uh, a big, hard-earned opportunity. Well, thank you. And like I said, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very, very happy to share that with, with so many deser- deserving people. Coach, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, coach Kotkin, by the way, only coach in NCAA history to take a team to the NCAA tournament at all three levels. Uh, six NCAA tournament appearances and five league championships. And you've made the postseason 33 out of your 36 seasons uh, at Mercyhurst. So you've undoubtedly seen the program grow and evolve. Uh, let me ask, what are some of the key moments in the program that you believe contributed to that sustain, sustained success? 
Well, I think it started with the Mercyhurst administration, you know, 36 years ago. Actually, it's more of it was 37 years ago when they started club hockey. Um, and they did play uh, at the club level the year before I arrived. And uh, then they made it a full-time uh, position and, you know, wanted to go and play Division Three hockey. So, obviously, that was monumental. Um, you know, the other big, big moment is when they uh, built a Mercyhurst Ice Center on our campus. You know, I mean, it's, uh, um, it's a beautiful little rink for us. Um, you know, we... Uh, We've had some, we've had some great, great wins in there. We've had some devastating losses in there. Um, you know, we have great memories in there. You know, so uh, where, that. Where did you play a, before the ice center? Do you know what? It was funny. We we played everywhere. We played home <laughs> games at the what was back then the Erie uh, um, Tulio Arena. It's now the Erie Insurance uh, Arena. Okay. Uh, we played games there. We practiced there. Uh, we played games in Meadville. We played games in Fredonia. Uh, we hosted a tournament once in Elmira, New York. Uh, and all of those inconveniences um, really led to the rink being built. You know, we never had a chance to play a game at the, at the Erie Zoo, but we, we practiced many a cold mornings there at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So, um, you know, we were kind of uh, nomads, um, and we kind of used that to our advantage. You know, we kind of liked being the underdog and, and whatnot. But like I said, all of those inconveniences helped us build the rink. So those were probably the two biggest things that happened to us. And I think the other thing that uh, really put us on the map for the first time um, and really put Mercier's uh, in a lot of ways in the national spotlight was in 2000-2001 we received a bid to the NCAA uh, Division I men's ice hockey tournament. Uh, Back then there was only 12 teams that made it in and there were two regions. The one region was in Albany, New York, and what the other region was in uh, Grand Rapids. We went to Grand Rapids, and there was uh, six teams in each region. And we got to take on the number one seed um, in uh, in the tournament. And that was the University of Michigan. And we ended up losing 4-3 on a late goal. Um, and uh, no one ever heard of us. Um, and, uh, you know, we played in front of 10, 11,000 people and the media was going crazy. Uh, uh, back then the ESPN uh, covered the selection show on their, you know, their main cable network. Uh, you know, lots of people got to see it. Um, lots of people got to see the game. It was a very exciting game. At the end of the day, the, the number one seed uh, uh, won Michigan, and the number 16 seed Mercyhurst, I'm sorry, number 12 seed Mercyhurst uh, did not win. Um, but boy, did we fight. You know, we fight and we fought, and uh, we really, for the first time, people knew where Mercyhurst was. I can remember uh, the bookstore, Dan Cullen, running our bookstore, still is running our bookstore. I remember him calling me. Uh, and saying, you know, you got to come down here and see what's going on here. And I went down to the bookstore and it wasn't a very big bookstore, but you know, a very nice bookstore. Um, everything was gone. Every shelf was empty. And he said, Rick, he said, we are getting calls and emails from all over the country. People are trying to find Mercyhurst, anything that says Mercyhurst on it. And the region we were in, you know, you could go to to Sears or JCPenney's and buy Wisconsin stuff and uh, Michigan stuff and, um, you know, different uh, big name school stuff. But nobody could nobody could find Mercyhurst stuff (laughs) other than at the Mercyhurst bookstore. And he said, we've been sending stuff out since the tournament seeds have been announced. We have nothing left. And that was a cool moment. You know, that that was a really cool moment. And uh, this played out in the New York Times and USA Today and, you know, 
Sports Center, and uh, you know they talked about Little Merton. No one ever heard of us, you know, and that was probably That's the cool. uh, the third biggest thing that uh, that happened with us. And uh, you know, it was great. Then then after that, we saw uh, uh, not just the men's hockey program start to thrive, but you know, we started women's hockey that does very well. Oh, they've been very club good. Hockey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's been kind of a neat thing, and would like to also think that we even you know we've impacted uh, Erie, Pennsylvania even on the youth hockey side, you know, uh, whether it be youth hockey or high school hockey and and things like that. And when you have a chance to grow a sport, um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity. And again, those are just residual things that indirectly, I think, spun off some of the success we had early. Well, Rick, before we let you go, Boston College head coach Jerry York, the winningest coach in college hockey history, Retired in 22 with 1,123 wins. <laughs> so I got to ask you, are you going to chase the title? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, nobody confuses Jerry York with Rick truly He's truly an icon. And sure. uh, I'm not sure anybody's ever going to get to that, uh, uh, to that level. And, uh, uh, and like I said, I, you know, I, you know, I don't know Jerry uh, Coach York very, very well, but I've had a chance to talk with him a few times uh, over the years. He's doing great yeah. in retirement. But uh, much like all of us, you know, um, he's all about just helping young people, yeah. you know, and <laughs> helping to add to their success and helping uh, uh, to watch these uh, these young student athletes grow on and off the ice. And uh, and like I said, I, uh, I I appreciate and I'm very humbled. You know, you mentioning me in the same breath as him uh, <laughs> because that 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 just doesn't happen. No, um, but uh, you know. Yep. I, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it and, uh, you know, I'm still going at it. Hey, you I got, know you're I'm a, getting younger. Well, you're a young chicken. You got 33 years left in you. Another 33, right? Get that next 600. Yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe another 33 months. But, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it, uh, like I said, uh, um, it, it's interesting, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I just turned 64. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, just being around the, uh, the, the student athletes, day in and day out and just listening to them, what they talk about and what they laugh about. And, you know, nothing's really changed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like I'm in a time warp, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're the same and, it, and, it, and in lots of ways it helps keep you thinking young and feeling young and uh, not that 64 is that old, but, uh, no, 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 um, you, but you know, it's, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, it's yep. just, it, it's just great. So like I said, That's you great. know, to start the, the segment, uh, you know, truly, truly blessed that, you know, I get to do something here in, in Erie, Pennsylvania that I love. My, my, my late yep. father told me once, if you could find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life you know and i think it's absolutely true i think it's absolutely true so well thank you rick we're blessed to have you on the show and and we're blessed to have you in the in the area as well the amazing things that's going on at mercyhurst over the years and we're excited to see the things to come so thanks so much for uh stopping by with us today well, I tell you what, thank you for having me. Uh, it was absolutely my privilege. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. Uh, you guys are doing great work. And uh, I really hope uh, uh, that everybody gets a chance to experience your show and, and listen, uh, you know, to the flagship, uh, um, you know, sports and uh, uh, really get keep, keep in touch with uh, some of the great sports we have right here in Erie, Pennsylvania, whether it be at the high school level or the collegiate level or, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely great. And, uh, uh, you know, your, your show is going to be absolutely terrific. Thanks, Rick. We, We appreciate that. 
All right, that was it. That's today's flagship feature. When we get back, we're going to jump into the Rust Belt Rundown. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickflow. Erie, hey, welcome back. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. Was Canada the problem all along in Pittsburgh? Buffalo just ran out of gas against Philly, and the Cleveland defense showed some wear and tear. All this and more in today's Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Circo Industrial Supply. Canada, <laughs> we say farewell to thee. thee. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. That was on the fly, too, by the way. I just want everyone to know that. Canada's gone. Insert Faulkner and new offensive coordinator. And the first time the Steelers reach over 400 yards since the pandemic. 44 games under Canada, zero times over 400 yards. I think I said on last week's show, if you want to change something and win a game, just fire a coach. Yeah. And it's amazing, right? Because I was worried. I'm thinking, okay, they cut Canada. I don't think that's the problem. Pickett looked good, not great. And we said a couple weeks ago, or maybe even last week, I don't know, I lose track of time with the holidays, that he needed to win games. He wasn't losing any games. I still don't think he took control. But have you ever seen a city more excited about 16 points <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. ever before. I mean, Cleveland. <laughs> well, you said it. <laughs> Signs of life coming from Pittsburgh. And here's, I need to see more. I'm not ready to, to say it was Canada's fault. I'm not ready to, to jump on the bandwagon and say Pittsburgh is going to turn it around. I need to see more than one game. But things that I was encouraged by, one, the run game. Yep. Faulkner, the new offensive coordinator, was a running back coach before. Okay, maybe there's a little bias in a run game, but the run game looked great. Harris looked like... A first-round pick? Yeah, for, for starters. <laughs> I was going to go a little higher, and I was even going to say, at times, like when he moved the pile on what looked like a two-yard game, then he stretched it to like, I think it was 12 or 15, he looked like... Jerome Bettis. I was sitting there with my dad, and that's that was my dad's comment. I'm not saying he's Jerome Bettis. Don't look at me like that. I'm just saying that he's he. He's a few like, cheeseburgers away from Jerome Bettis. Let's just put it that way. He's 240. I would have really? never thought he was 240. That's, wow. that's according to online stats. But all to say, the running offense looked good. I love to see the passes across the middle to Fryermuth. You know, so the offense, the push downfield, you noticed it. You noticed passes longer than 10 yards. I was I was going to say, you. so I had two points. One was they ran the ball with Najee Harris the way that he's most effective, and running backs coach calling yeah. the plays, that makes sense. Yep. And the second one was uh, do what Penn State fans knew years ago, and that's just feed the ball to Pat Fryermuth yeah. um, because he's he's unbelievable, and he's a chain mover, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Play I mean, action passes, you know, easy completions. Uh, w- when the run game is working, the play action pass game opens up so much because the defense has to load the box, and that's that push-pull. So a good job by them. Uh, one week in with the new OC. Now we'll see how defenses adjust to uh, the new OC play caller. Yeah, and hopefully you, th- you think it's good things, right? Faulkner was the OC. It is Mike Sullivan who's the quarterback's coach. Well, was the quarterback's coach, right? or maybe still is. Either way, he's the one that's calling plays right now. So it is an interesting dynamic where you have two coaches calling the plays. Some great interviews put out by the Steelers this week with Faulkner talking about how they're splitting duties and things like that. But there was definitely an, a noticeable difference. And it was good to see the defense come back as well. Don't get me wrong. The Bengals are without Burrow. And the Bengals were also the 28th ranked defense coming into this game so take that into consideration when you think about 400 yards of total offense i'm excited i'm not ready to buy in i'll leave it at that i think that's a that's a sane reaction yeah uh there are some not so sane reactions (laughs) i 
saw on Twitter from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, it was these guys are still terrible. And the fourth was I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Pittsburgh. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. this guy's just going through it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're living and dying. All right. Jumping over Philadelphia, 37, Buffalo, 34. This game was incredible. It was so, we were even texting during the game, Paul. Fun it to was watch. such a fun game to watch. A lot of back and forth. I just don't think Buffalo, I think they just ran out of gas. I think that's exactly right. And then the uh, the one horribly timed Josh Allen turnover of the game, that's the one that, that, that the Eagles ended up getting ahead by a couple of points toward the end. Of, I don't know if that was end of the third quarter or early fourth, but that was the one possession difference in the game that, that you know allowed Philly basically back into it. Yeah, you're talking about the end of the first half. It's 17-7 Buffalo. Philly is getting booed off the field by their own fans going into the tunnel. And then they come back and they, they do what the Eagles do. The Eagles are an insane offense. And I loved what Buffalo tried to do. Four-minute offense, right? They're yep. ru- and this is the big difference that I noticed whenever with with Ken Dorsey being gone and Brady coming in as the offensive coordinator is their commitment to the run game. Their rushing attack has gone... The non-Josh Allen right. rushing attack has gone up. But also the Josh Allen roll out and just use his legs because he's bigger than everyone, that seemed to be... Like, that's how they were winning a couple right. of years ago. And I feel like they went away from that because the sort of the feeling is it's always there. We have that when we need it. Yeah. And they just never did. So I think Joe Brady's kind of going back to what worked for them the last couple of years. And I'm I mean, yeah. you saw it. Josh Allen. You can't bring him down with one arm. You no. usually can't bring him down with just one guy. Yeah. Uh, he gets outside of the pocket. He's dangerous. Well, and he still led the team in rushing nine carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns. But Cook had 16 carries for 43 yards. Latavius Murray had nine for 30. Ty Johnson had six for 19. You know, 40 it, rush attempts. Right. Yeah. They take that four minute offense and they just I think the problem was they just scored too quickly. They went up by three with just under two minutes left. And that's way too much time for that Philly offense. So I think it's going to be tough for Buffalo to make the playoffs, but I'm not ready to stick a fork in it and call, call it done. I, I think they can still have a chance. I was going to say, they're, they're still in the hunt. I still, just based on the quality of the team and of course the quarterback, that, that, that's a wild card team. They're yeah. a five, six, seven seed. We'll see how the AFC North shakes out, but they'll be there. I'm, I have no doubt. Well, and we talked about it last week too. Their rest of season schedule is just crazy. Yeah. So, all right, moving over. Denver 29, Cleveland 12. Was just just a, uh, a tough Broncos team or just too many holes on the defense in Cleveland? I credit the Denver Broncos turnaround with the 70-point shellacking that the Dolphins put on them because yeah. something changed yep. in that locker room after that game. Yeah. I mean, it's enough to wake you up. Sean, That's, yeah. Sean Payton's a great coach, and they're on a five-game winning streak, I think I saw. I was going to say four or five now. Uh, the, the one I, I wrote down, the John Madden quote, 90% of the game is half mental, and that's that's <laughs> kind of what – I know, it's a great one. I think that's kind of what it is with the Broncos. They, they didn't add anybody. They didn't trade anybody. They didn't bring anybody in. These are the same guys, the same coaches, you know, same play calling, just with a little more – attitude. Yeah. And I think Cleveland's defense is getting a little banged up. Their offense is not able to hang in now with Watson being injured for the year. Yep. DTR got banged up. BJ Walker is not a starting NFL quarterback. You know, maybe you see Joe Flacco next week. I don't know. The scary thing for me was you have Miles Garrett in a sling after the game. And he, I, I heard it, or I saw it on Twitter, where he was quoted as saying he could barely lift his arm in the second half. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want to see. That's a, a concern moving forward. Yeah, so something to keep your eye on as, as they move on next week as well. So. Brown's still at 7-4, and four, so they're not in a bad position it's overall. Just, it's just crazy to see how the, the, the AFC North changed from the conversations that we had two or three weeks ago. You know, Cleveland losing Watson, Burrow out in Cincy. I yeah. mean, the whole AFC. It, and Canada out Canada's in Pittsburgh. Canada's out in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, things the whole, change. Things are shaking up. Ravens still still sitting on top so 
I don't know. We got a lot of football left. We'll see how it goes. We got to wrap it up for today, though. That's it for the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Circo Industrial Supply. Erie, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Nick Artman, signing off for Paul Adamzak and Rich Smith. Don't forget to follow along anywhere you can find us. Flagship City Sports Talk. That's it. We're done. Erie, have some fun. Have some fun.